Awesome. Excited today. We got with us for Israel Unfiltered, Asaf Luxemburg. Asaf Luxemburg, man, good friend, old times, knew for a long time, and it's great to kind of get reconnected. Things have been quiet, coronavirus. Um, I could introduce you, but you could probably do a better, a better job. Uh, why don't you tell us why, uh, why we're having this uh, chilling conversation? First of all, we're first of all, thank you for having me. And uh, hello to all the tens of millions that are watching this, even though for some reason YouTube didn't count all of you, but never mind that. I know you're out there. Uh, so thank you for having me. Why, why are we having this conversation? We have, because we haven't spoken for a while, my friend. So, it's, it's way too long. So the hell about them? I want to talk to you. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, me too, right? So, and I think that's the conversation people are looking for is these like authentic Zionist related conversations. And uh, we're going to talk about what's going on, understanding Israeli culture, particularly in like the startup and the tech scene. Um, and we're also going to talk about how that kind of like leaks in and has become a little bit part of, you feel it in, in politics and policies and in general, um, because, you know, culture is every is everywhere they say politics is downstream from culture too um so let's talk about the tech culture which is really why i have you here so maybe you want to start with what's up with your uh, shirt what's plus 972 okay so yeah i did not answer your question so i'll introduce myself in a really short version my name is asaf luxembourg born and raised in israel my scratch my disease my passion my thing in life is to promote israel i do it mainly through business have been doing it for a while. So I'm kind of like a startup nation ambassador, you might say, even though I don't like that uh, definition. Uh, and I do marketing for startups, hedge funds, nonprofits, you name it. Uh, mainly these days uh, through Plus972, which I am not promoting here by any means. But uh, no one needs the card, dude. It's on your shirt. <laughs> uh, yeah, Plus972 which anybody who knows Israel will understand because that's like the country code. Um, also nine plus- well, By the way, Americans, many Americans, I was surprised to learn this, aren't even aware with country codes because if you yeah. call someone internationally, it might be on like video or on WhatsApp or something, not, whatever, not what, but like you, you never, and in America, they don't even have a country code. It's just plus one. I know. So it's just, and, so and inside even, America, you don't even use the plus one. Right. So you don't, and you don't even use it, right. plus one when you need to call somewhere else. Right. They don't, right. And so it, it's fascinating. Many Americans are familiar that like every country, like it's part of like the country brand in a way is that your country code. <laughs> yeah. And so Israel is plus nine, seven, two. And, and you may appreciate this, 9 plus 7 plus 2 equals 18, which is high. That's I beautiful. Don't know that, I, don't I didn't know that. No, I didn't know we're doing numerology. What's 9 times 7 times 2? Yeah, that, I don't know. They'll take me there. 63, 126, <laughs> whatever. Um, yeah, but 972, the country code for Israel, so plus 972. We are a creative agency based in New York, a global creative agency. Uh, we do a lot of work with Israel, but also beyond Israel. So that's the context for me wearing the shirt and absolutely not promoting this. You're the worst. You're the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to laugh about myself. I know, uh, I know. It's funny. I was being sarcastic. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. you're, but you're in Israel, right? So the agency is in, uh, the agency is in New York and you're helping do creative things around Israel. Um, but let's talk a little bit, let's kind of like jump right into kind of like the Israeli startup culture. And if you guys think that this is off to a strange start, it's not. This is just, this is kind of like a little hint into Israeli tech culture. And maybe we can go right into it based on just how it went started with the, the formality 
doesn't exist, right? Yeah. So if this was a similar interview, let's say for our American counterparts, it would be far more serious. We'd both be wearing a collared shirt or button down maybe a blazer, right? Um, and you wouldn't be uh, pushing a card in front of the screen every 15 seconds. Um, but in Israel, it's very like, it's very much in your face or in the camera in this case, and very much like upfront. Why do you think, how do you think that came about like in, in the startup, in the tech? Some people say it's the culture. Some people say it's like happening from like, kind of like with all of the wars and the trouble, there's like, there isn't time or space. People are indifferent right. to bullshit. Does it come from the army? How do you, how has Israel's culture kind of evolved to what it is known today? So this is very interesting. Um, I mean, we're not going to do a deep dive into the Israeli tech ecosystem here. I mean, those from your audience who are interested in this, there is this website called G-O-O-G-L-E. You can find it all over there. Um, but I would say the following. I do a lot of talks with people who want to understand like the secret behind Startup Nation. And, and usually I take them to the following angle. I would say the following thing. Israel is in a way has always been about clashing extremes. When you think about it, it's always has been old and new, Tel and Aviv. Um, it has always been East and West, left and right. Israel is a place where extreme clash for thousands of years in many forms, desert and you know, green lands. it all clashes here. Now, when you clash things, you release a lot of energy. And for some reason in this place, that energy did not go to five civil wars and authoritarian regime. It went to creativity. And that creates a lot of innovation. So there's Wait, hold on, you, you skipped something. I, I, you skipped something. Okay. I'm following you. I agree. And you also, I can add many more of those. There are secular and religious and da, 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 da. There's yeah, a lot yeah, of yeah, clashes, yeah. right? Okay. But why didn't it go to a civil war or separation or any of these other things that would have happened that have anywhere else in the world? How come the Israel, the modern Israel, the third Israeli state in the land of Israel, right? The modern one. How have we gotten, how has that energy been contained? Why? Uh, isn't, that the, isn't that the so-called, I hate this term, but like the secret sauce and that the thing is like, why is it when under these same pressures and circumstances, other cultures, know, religions, histories, peoples, it, they, it doesn't turn into productivity or creation. What's different here? So I'm not saying others don't. I'm saying that the way it works here, and, and again, I'm not a sociologist, so I'm a marketer, but I, I look at this since I work with culture. Um, I would say the following. There is something in this, in the way extreme clashes here um, that goes to breaking formality um, one of those extremes is legacy versus let's start something new. And that let's start something new in modern Israel spurred a lot of that innovation because you're loose from old habits and way of thinking. So I would say that this is um, something that is unique here in this country. I'll tell you the following thing. Um, and again, this is my perspective. When you go to Paris or, you know, people who are watching this, think of yourselves. When you go to Paris, you kind of feel Paris. Or you go to London, you feel London. You go to New York, you feel New York. L.A. has a different vibe. 
But when you go to Israel, there's no one Israel that you feel. You can feel five different extreme Israels that are two kilometers apart from one another. And Israel has that way of, you know, there's one extreme, another extreme, another extreme, another extreme, and they live and they coexist in a way, one besides the other. And I think that produces a lot of creativity. So maybe the universal message is that there are cool ways to play with adversity and make them create cool things together, just like colors, maybe. Mm -hmm. Okay, got it. But you still don't explain that, like, let's say in Europe, which is much larger than the land of Israel, um, you have all these cultures and it's the history of wars and kings and things and things. I still don't understand. They have that too. And obviously maybe they weren't. And I would say if they were even more on top of each other in Europe, they'd probably be killing each other even more so. You can say things a lot about things in uh, the Arab world that there are a lot of like uh, clans and families and, and you know, they kill each other uh, also. I mean, this goes for every culture. But I still don't know why you would say what is it about here that it's not just destruct destruction that comes with so, so many different extremes, but rather creation, right? We're talking about the exact opposite, not just it's something different, the exact opposite of probably any other example in the world today or in history. Right. So again, you know, bigger and smarter and more experienced people than me have wrote about it. And reading Wait, them and so why, are, so why are we talking to you? <laughs> exactly. I don't know. I told you, I just wanted to catch up. With you. Um, I would say the following. Look, working with startups, I'll, I'll get there from working with startups. Interestingly right. enough, when you work with startups, you need to have a long, I mean, a long, far away vision. And you need to, to be able to sell and to storytell a big picture. There's a reason why you do what you do. You want to change the world or change the industry or push humanity forward technologically or whatever that is. It's big and it's far away. But there's also the here and now because you need to build the MVP. You need to pivot and make the, the, the first version of your product. So it's the sort of extreme of here and now and let's deal with what is working because we're in survival mode as a young startup. But there's also the big thing out there. It's that extreme. As one may would say, a marathon and a sprint together. And that extreme also exists, I think, in modern Israel culturally, because we have this back looking and you know going way back in legacy and history, which we rely on. It's the reason we are a people, and, you know, we have a shared history, legacy, story, ta -ta -ta, culture, whatever. There's also, I would say there was a vision for many years. There was a 2000 year old vision of, you know, we want to come back together, right? But there's also the here and now. And the here and now, whether that was the kibbutz or forming the IDF or the way things work in Israel, you gotta make it work right now. And I think that polarity is very healthy when you're dealing with times like today where it's all about innovation and technology because you're able to adapt quicker. That's interesting. So your set thing, which is definitely true, which is that there's a shared history uh, that's much more shared. That's obviously that's written in like, you know, in the Torah and whatever, and in the Tanakh and the Bible and, and in all kinds, you know, uh, Jews have documented a lot throughout history being extremely literate. But it's also one thing that we're missing is that we're all agreeing that we have a shared future and destiny. That we can have different extremes, but we have a shared destiny. And I think that's kind of what forces people to come together and create when as opposed to tear people apart. Because if I tear apart from you, I'm hurting myself in equal or greater measure than I would be hurting you. 
However, if you and I come together and we're extremes and we might disagree or have different perspectives on a wide variety of things, but we understand the goal is to kind of to make peace come together and build together, I know I can have a more productive and fruitful future. And so can you, even though we might, you know, even though we may be very, very different. Absolutely. And maybe to help nail down this point so we can move forward in the conversation, I would say that there are two things that are, I don't want to say unique only to Israel, but they're unique in the way they work in Israel. The first one I would say is a joint sense of purpose, which is basically what you described right now. We may disagree about the way looking forward, going forward and our future vision, but we agree that we need to work it out together. So there's like this shared sense of purpose. Israel is not the most individualistic country in the world where it's all about me, 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 and you know, maximizing and pursuing my personal happiness. We're part of something that is bigger than us. And I think that's the way we are taught to mm-hmm. think and to feel from age zero in this country. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. It creates a sense of purpose. And when you are part of something that is bigger than yourself, you can afford to take risks. Your small failures along the way don't matter that much. Uh, you feel belong to the tribe, whether that is your people, but it could also be your company in business. Mm-hmm. So these things are important for culture. The second thing that I think works uniquely in Israel is what I call the home factor. So you and I are talking right now as if we're both in pajamas and we just sat in the living room because we both just woke up. And that's the way business is done in Israel. Because in a small country where you're literally one degree of separation from anybody else, because you can always find a personal connection, no one's going to impress anybody with a suit and tie. Right. Here's another example. When you or anybody who's watching, think when you were kids and you have siblings and you want to take something from the fridge. You do not stand in line if you see your other brothers and sisters taking something from the fridge. If you're the older sibling, what you do at home a lot of times is move me hungry. Yeah, that's so, what that, this morning we, we had chocolates for like Pesach, like in the fridge, like from a gift from like from my company. And they were like fighting over it. And I was like, you know what? Neither of you are getting this. <laughs> yeah, but, but my point is, you allow yourself to behave at home, right. not the same as you would behave in a public ah, space. Ah, I see where you're going. I dig it. Now, Israelis, when you tell them, for example, when an Israeli goes to the park, I'm generalizing, but I think it's true to a certain extent. You should generalize. If not, we, we, won't, we won't get anywhere without generalizations. <laughs> so here's the point. Israelis go to the park. Anywhere else in the world, the park is a public sphere. So you should behave and, you know, treat the public sphere with respect because it also belongs to everybody else. The Israeli mentality is, oh, cool, it belongs to everybody. So it's kind of like at home. So I can right, be in my right. pajamas. I don't they, need to stand in line. And, uh-huh. you know, the road is like that. So it's not just drive. that. They, they bring their, they'll bring their hookah, they'll eat their sunflower seeds and serve it wherever yeah. they want. And, and it's they'll not come because and they're like, let's just have a party. Exactly. And it's not because I'm disrespectful for the fact that it's yours too. I want you to also feel as if you are in your personal home in the public sphere. Right. And that right. creates an openness. And That's fascinating. Culture. I like that. It's a great analogy. But so we're, we're, I think we nailed this point. I think that's pretty good. I think that's really good. I think we really did. All right. So we have here, so we have a sense of, let's say, right, um, uh, belonging, shared history, shared future, shared space, and that's kind of unspoken, and it's obviously rooted in in uh, in, in Judaism, um, in, in Torah, and l- loving your brother. But then we have, how does that? Now we take that, and then you go into the tech world, right? And so we're saying, or in business in general, but how does that 
go into the private sector. So we have our communities and all that, but now we come into the community, the, the private sector. Okay, we feel like everything is like my home. So, okay, so that's why we wear t-shirts to, to work, right? Okay, but beyond that, but explain to me the culture. I don't know if you're familiar with this. Uh, it was circulated maybe like 15 years ago. Um, Intel's employees from America were coming to visit their big plans, their employees in Israel. And they had like a whole presentation about like understanding and how not to be offended by Israelis. Do you know what I'm talking about? Maybe uh, you might remember it better than me. Maybe you want to share that and then maybe we can pull some points from there because it's pretty, I know Israelis passed it around as like really hilarious and comical, but for Americans, it was like dead serious, you know? Yeah. So, so here's, so here's where the two worlds connect. If we wanted to talk about startups and business and understanding the Israeli business mindset and so on. So here's the point. I think none of these things are unique to this geography or DNA or random set of historical circumstances. It's universal. This mix exists here in a unique way, but everybody has ingredients of that. Now comes the technology revolution, which is a new frontier where rules are breaking, where things change really fast. That kind of culture is more adapted to that than other cultures. So it's not that the Israeli culture is good and I want to sell it. It's kind of like, I would say, imagine people who are surfboard and you're with the right kind of board, longboard, shortboard. You happen to have the right kind of board when the right wave hits and you caught the wave perfectly. Not perfectly, but pretty well. And that's the story of Israel with tech startups and innovation and all that. Because when that innovation, when the internet came, basically, we had a culture that is more adaptable to quick changes. Because we're not good in doing things big in this country. We're not good in building utilities. We don't have a world-class metro. We don't. That's not our thing. <laughs> if it rains, it floods. So the joke like, is we can deal with Iran, but a little bit of rain and the entire system collapses and the sewage and whatever. We're not good in this because we did not, I don't know, maybe it's because we did not run empires for 2,000 years. Who knows? But we are really good in small, in solving things locally, in finding innovative small solutions to things, in patchworking. Uh, you know, Jewish communities were small for 2,000 years. So there's this, I can understand how the narrative plays along, but when the internet comes, when the technology revolution happens, when this comes along, you know, you have a culture that is more about, yeah, forget what we did so far. Let's try something new. And this, what the hell, let's try this approach is a lot of times what startups need. Yeah. So that's why Israel, in a way, nobody planned in Israel to get with McKinsey a 25-year-old plan for how to become a startup nation. We're not China. We're, we're not doing these things. It kind of happened. But we need, we need to learn, you know, the, to replicate that. And maybe there's a universal lesson for everybody else. Because if we can do it, everybody can do it. All right, let's go negative for a second. What are the biggest obstacles for Israel to be able, probably that, for us to be able to even embrace more of, more of this? Because some things are holding us back. Um, and let's say, what do you think are the obstacles going forward, not the reasons that you may ascribe until now, um, why we're not able to deal with like real infrastructure and other projects like this, you know, it'd be great like when they have a shopping center to have a freaking parking lot with enough parking. And, you know, <laughs> as an example. Yeah, I mean, look, when, when our grandparents 
like their generation, when they, when they founded the startup, they had to deal with the here and now. They did not put the foundations for you know, a, a big corporate. They built a startup. Mm-hmm. Waze was not built to be sold to Google. Waze was built to, you know, as a startup because that's how right. startups start. You have to pivot. You have to find your way. You're a speedboat trying to maneuver around the rocks. You don't think about crossing the Atlantic. So there's a reason the country is built this way. I mean, Tel Aviv does not have streets and boulevards. There's one boulevard, maybe. Uh, so I would say the following thing. Um, I think that for 20 years, for more or less 20 years, as someone who was a student in the business of promoting Israel, we celebrated Startup Nation because it was a great story. But startups will, I mean, this story is not the bedrock. It's a manifestation of the bedrock. The bedrock is the culture. And I think that one thing we need to do better, and we are doing better than what we did 15 years ago, is building companies to grow and go big. So there was a time in Israel where the celebration was about the exits. Mm-hmm. I don't know if your audience remembers, if you remember, there was a show in the U.S. called The Entourage. Entourage was great. They didn't have an Israeli version, didn't they? So that's why I'm going with this. But what's the backstory of The Entourage? It's this person who built an empire, and then it's about what him and his friend are doing like after you know, he built an empire, right? Right. Pretext is you build an empire. Mark Zuckerberg built Facebook, you know, that. Right. Elon Musk, or whatever, Jeff Bezos. In Israel, there was another version of the entourage. It was called Mesudarim, meaning they got arranged. Like they're, uh-huh. they're good. Right. That's the analogy. They're, they're fixed, they're done. But it wasn't about the three people who built an empire, it's about the three people who built a startup and sold it. Right. Now, the show is the same show with what happens the day after and the big house and the yacht or whatever. The backstory is different because for us, 20 years ago, success means startup. Right. Exit. Today, I think that culture is changing. So for many years, a lot of thought leaders in the tech industry in Israel spoke about from startup nation to scale up nation. Right. So that Wix becomes an empire, so that Payoneer becomes a big part uh, company, so that, you know, uh, uh, Outbrain, I mean, they grow big and they don't sell out once they have the opportunity. They, they keep the company private and grow it big and then go IPO. So why, 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 think, why did that transition happen? I, I might... First of all, because a lot of people pushed for that transition to happen. What does that mean? What do you mean a lot of people? Who are these, who are these people? So generally speaking, exits are great, right? But when a company is being sold to a multinational, you never know what's going to happen six months down the line, 12 months down the line. Maybe people move to California. You know the story with Waze when they were, they were getting bids for Facebook and Google. And, uh, and I forget they refused. The they were fright. They refused Facebook. Because one of their one condition they weren't willing to do is we're not going to dismantle the team. We're not going to move. You're not going to fold us into your company. And we're not moving to America. We're staying here. And so therefore, Facebook wasn't able to themselves out of the bidding, um, and it probably brought the price down a little bit for Google because they had less competition. Um, but the, the a huge difference here, and I, in my opinion, and this is kind of where I think there is a transition from startup nation to scale up nation is uh, the founders understood 
that if they went in the path that they close up and they sell, it's going to be harder for them to start a new venture and a new startup and bring on people if you feel like I'm just here to exit and I'm going to sell out the team um, and, and the vision and the engineers and all of that, you know, that that and that's and I think that's I think that's a huge component. And I think when people succeed after their first startup and let's just say they have a startup and they exit and they made their millions and then they're going to go back and make a new startup. Now they're like the new, the challenge is no longer the exit. They made their money. They're wealthy now, which is awesome. Now it's like, okay, now let me help even more people get, well, let me build an, an, an empire in a way for um, not just get me and the co-founders rich, make some and make money for a lot of people and do some really cool tech, but also let's build an empire that's sustainable, that can continue to create wealth opportunities and jobs for generations to come. And I think right. about it. First, you need to have that exit and make yourself financially stable and be able to prove to yourself that you can. And then the next challenge is now you want to do more. So what would be the next thing is how do I take this bad boy public? I know that's right. I think it's like a natural evolution of an entrepreneur wants to do the next thing a little bit bigger, a little bit harder, a little bit more scalable. Uh, do you think that it's that or do you think it's more or you think this, or, the, or the culture itself has shifted in Israel or do you? No, first of all, absolutely. A lot of people, meaning investors, thought leaders, I mean, we're kind of speaking about it. So it became an issue. So people did push for founders, either it was technically or through, you know, writing and speaking and promoting, but people from inside the industry were absolutely pushing the industry to go and build bigger companies that will be built for last. People can Google and find a lot about the from startup nation to scale up nation conversation. I actually want to say something, you know, if Hamistabra is they do in the Gemara, you know, to counter your point, mm -hmm. because I want to make the case for the entrepreneurs who make an exit, because it's not, sometimes it's portrayed as if, you know, someone comes with an irrefutable offer. So, oh, big money, like we have to sell, we have to take. But it's not really like that. If you're built a company and you have a product and you have customers and you're and able a, to build and a team a and employees, and suppliers, brand, you become friends with team yeah. who gave their blood, sweat and tears for you, sometimes for less money because they believed in the dream. Conceptually, by the way, is someone who works in a startup, if the company is healthy and it makes an exit, you're supposed to be happy. You're not supposed to be angry that a company was sold. Never mind. Correct. My point is the following. If you're navigating that speedboat, because what that's what it is, it's a startup, you're a speedboat, you're maneuvering around the rocks. At some point you understand that in order to transform from a speedboat to an aircraft carrier, in order to cross the Atlantic, that's a big schlep. And if there's an aircraft carrier that can take you to market on the other side, it would be foolish not to do it. So ways in a way the product was able to go big and global, partially thanks to Google. Now, if they would have tried to do it on their own, who knows what would have happened? They would have to raise more money. They would have to really make a big effort to, to grow overseas, conceptually speaking. So there is a case for doing an exit by you know, being sold to a multinational and letting that aircraft carrier take you to market. Because if you really care about the product, really care about the consumers. And that is the best and fastest and most effective way to get to market. Why not? 
So we will not be a startup anymore. We'll be a division inside that corporation, but we will fulfill the vision. So there is a case for making an exit and not saying, no, I want to build an empire. Which no, there's, a, there's, a, moral, there's a moral case for an exit. Absolutely. Saying, which I, I agree with, right. Right. And I think it leads to the- But has, so wait, but do you think the, maybe there was like a, I'm trying to choose my words correctly, but I'm going to fail to do that. Um, do you, that there's like, that morality has shifted in the tech space in Israel where um, it seems more moral to build an, uh, a company that's built to last in public as opposed to uh, get an exit to, you know, uh, a corporate, you know, a multinational corporation? There are many reasons for it. Some of them, you can call them morality. Some of them is because, you know, it's better for the country. It's better for some investors, changes in the financial markets and then private equity, whatever. It's a collective set of uh, uh, reasons. But my point is, Startup Nation did make at least partially that change. Um, and I think what Israelis, to go back to your original question about, you know, what's the negative, at the end of the day, Israel is an island. Effectively, the only way to get a car out of this country is on a boat. Mm -hmm. So it is, it is an island. Um, and as, as a small island with markets that are far away, mostly Europe and North America, you're far away from your destination markets. And that creates a marketing challenge going back to culture. When you go to North America with the Israeli approach, not always it's being perceived and accepted in the way that you intended. So that's a big struggle that I think a lot of startups have in, in Israel. Many Israeli business have understanding that maybe I'll, I'll, I'll say this from my perspective of class 972, making it pretty and in English doesn't mean that it's American, doesn't mean that it's British. I mean, you have to make sure it fits the local culture because that's your market. Mm -hmm. So that's a challenge that I think a lot of Israeli businesses face, let alone startups. Do you think the solution to that is just to hire locally, right? Look, in a way, um, Israel has a local advantage that there are a lot of people who came from destination markets and are here. Right, yeah, Israel's the most diverse by nationality in the world. Yeah, and, and in a way, you're one of them and you're doing a great job in that sphere in a, the digital marketing uh, place with mm -hmm. Body Digital. Not I'm coming to promote you by any means, but it's a great way to show that, you know, people who come here and they bring assets. Like if, if you're making Aliyah and you come from France and you're uh, an accountant, you could be a slightly better or worse accountant than Yossi Cohen, who lives right here in whatever, Ranana, Ramadan, whatever. But if you're you also know, you also know that Yossi Cohen, Ranana, <laughs> <laughs> but here's my point: you work for a company that is selling in France. You bring right. assets. True, you're an accountant, you're a lawyer, but you understand French culture. You know that you don't send an email at that time. You don't write the email in this way. You don't call and introduce yourself in that manner. So you know how to tweak those things that are very important. Right, a few of our clients, um, they have French Olim salespeople that call in France. And as far as I want to thinks they're in France. And, you know, you would think yeah. they're born there, they're France. raised there, they have the accent, they speak perfectly, you wouldn't, they're French, but they live here. And so they're, it's amazing how much, um, yesterday was Yom Aliyah, um, 
how how much immigration has helped Israel so dramatically if we can you know if we lower the barriers to immigration and to help immigrants join the because private again, sector we can do amazing things and again it's part of that extremism because people came here from very different places very different cultures it clashes here it creates an interesting mix and a lot of energy but that diversity is a business asset. Right, exactly. And, and I always say it's diversity really of ideas and perspectives and what you can do more than where you're from. And uh, we definitely have that. And, uh, and those clashes, like we touched upon in the beginning of our conversation, leads to more growth um, and more opportunities and more creation um, as opposed to saying, oh, they do things differently. I don't get along with them, da, 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 you know, my way or the highway. You really don't get that. You see like, oh, look, a French person, they can help us get in a, you know, they can help us penetrate the French market. You know what I mean? They can maybe connect yeah. us with, with these people and these governments that, you know what I mean? And then you start talking to people, see where their connections are. And it's phenomenal how much people actually want to help. Yeah. I mean, I did some quiet work with Masai and people who are, you know, young professionals who moved to Israel and, and you know, it's all about being unique and valuable. I mean, you could bring value as an accountant or a lawyer or a digital marketer, but you are unique in the sense that you know Argentina because you're from there. And if the right. company is selling there, I'm not saying you need to be hired as an Argentinian consultant, but why not bring that value and position yourself as unique and valuable employee in the company? Just mm -hmm. better for you. Right. Uh, yeah. Right, right. So it's a big win. So you think, so the scale up you're saying uh, from startup to scale up, you're saying it's just, do you think they can do more? It's more ideological? Because I honestly just see it as repeat entrepreneurs. I just want to do the next, they made their they made their money. They never have to work again. And now there's something new to create. I'm speaking as an entrepreneur, right? So yeah. like after you do one, like after you do like, let's say you're in real estate, like you do one real estate deal, another real estate deal. It's like, okay, I'm ready for a bigger deal. Okay, you know, all right, I'm ready for, you know, a multi-unit. I'm ready for, you know, an apartment complex. Let's try and after you do a couple of those, and then you're like, okay, let me try a commercial. Let me try, you know what I mean? Like, let yeah. me try a skateboard. Let me go to that. Now I'm going to go to center city. Like, I feel like it's just a natural progression as you succeed in business. I really think it's mostly that. Do you think there's actually been a, uh, a cultural shift um, that stems from something other than kind of a maturation um, as, an as an entrepreneur who succeeds and then wants to do, then wants to climb the next bigger mountain? Look, it was definitely a topic on the table. I mean, you go back to see what big conferences and people wrote about. Definitely, for the past 10 years, it was, it was something that the local tech industry spoke about. I think there's another change that is happening, and it's more global, but it's happening here as well. Um, look, you and I kind of belong to this generation where, um, you know, tech entrepreneurs we're like the, you know, the celebrated cowboys or, you know, the rock stars or whatever. I think it's mainly because of this, because this is a phase in the revolution in a way. And it created a platform for a lot of apps. And suddenly with $50,000, you can start an app and go viral. And what. So it, it, it made it look like it's easy because you don't need $5 million to build a big system. All you need is 50K and then, you know, code an app or whatever. And everybody wanted to try and be an entrepreneur. Why? Basically, when you give them a few good glasses and you get them to that point, because it's, a, because it's cool, it's admirable, and it looks like a fastest way for success. But here's well, the when I was in college, just to say in business school, we mocked the, 
like I studied finance or national business. I graduated in 2008 for my undergrad and in Philly. And I remember mocking entre- people taking like entrepreneur classes because obviously it's like, why would an entrepreneur need to take entrepreneur classes? And yeah. there was, right? But there's also uh, the truth is that you don't learn anything about business in business school anyway. So it turns out those are probably the best classes. But um, I, I feel like they were mocked originally, entrepreneurs trying to do their own thing and kind of, you know what I mean? In a way. Yeah, but in a way, Mark Zuckerberg changed that because suddenly you have this cool kid who changed the world and everybody was looking for the next Zuckerberg and, you know. Right. So people, there was this decade at least that every, I mean, I would ask an MBA class who wants to work for Google at a certain year and everybody would raise their hands. And five years later, who wants to work for Google? I don't know, a few people, Microsoft, whatever. Right. Who wants to start their own startup? All hands up. You know, that's a great now, example. That's really good. Now, here's the thing. I mean, go back 250 years. If you are going to California and you're going to cross the, the mainland and you want to get to the desert and go look for gold, you better know a thing or two about geology. Don't do it because everybody's doing it because it's freaking hard. And right. I think it's the same in business because it's a frontier. Startups are hard. Most of them, the majority of them fail. So you better do something you're passionate about, not because it's Simon Sinekey or whatever, True, that too, but because you will also be able to be more persistent when it will be tough. Right. So you, so you should have an emotional connection point to the product, to the clients. That's the best, in my opinion. There should be an emotional hook, and you need to celebrate and communicate that. That's what I try to do as a storyteller. Bring the truth out there, which is why you will try harder. So I think today, more people step into this for the right reasons, rather than, oh, look, three years, we'll do this shmoo app that connects photos of monkeys to photos of bananas on Facebook, we'll go viral and we'll make an exit. This whole idea of let's go to the desert, go like this, find gold and get rich. I mean, I think we're kind of waking up from that dream because the internet is maturing and it kind of goes back to a natural scale of things. Not everybody will be tech entrepreneurs. Right, I, that also isn't room for you. Uh, entrepreneurs need employees too. At least the successful ones. Uh, yeah, and it does. It doesn't fit most people's uh, personality either. Uh, However, but, but I do want to connect this to our point. This mentality of why not or what the hell? What's the risk of trying? Yeah, let's do it. Let's try. It. Let's throw it and see. Let's throw it to the lake and see what the the waves are. That mentality is pretty healthy in disruptive new frontiers. And Israel has a lot of that mentality. This what the hell approach is very healthy in many ways. Right. Because it's not about the process and what we do and how. It's about what we're trying to achieve and why. So let's see which means work in order to get there. Mm-hmm. It's a healthier approach in those environments. Mm-hmm. Would you say what you were saying earlier, like if you asked like a decade ago, who wants to be like, and you know, who wants to work for Google? And uh, at least if you ask engineers and they all be interested and you ask today, many fewer people, they'd rather try to start their own thing. Do you see things that's like in Israel, I remember, and I believe it's like, oh, he works for Intel or oh, he works for Facebook or oh, she works for Google, whatever. Do you think that's also moved away from, um, or, or Mellanox or one of the other very big companies here in Israel? Um, or ways, do you think they've moved from that also to kind of starting your own thing? Um, as 
do you think also, or do you think there's also like working for big tech companies in Israel? Do you think that's just as popular uh, or as a goal as in the States? Absolutely because they, they pay amazing. Obviously, the, the compensation is ridiculous. Uh, Get this. You have a steady job and you don't have to sweat and wake up at 3 a.m. going, <gasps> what's going to be with my startup? Which right. Is what every entrepreneur is facing almost. Yes, every day. I know. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Many of us felt it. Yeah. Um, why why no, we keep doing still... this is why we keep doing this is, is probably the main question. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because it's very admirable. That's true. And I think you get more purpose. And but that also might be the reason why instead of exiting and starting a new startup, maybe that's why people are looking to scale up because hey, we're already successful, we made it. There's a new challenge here, and I don't have to freak out as much. I have we have we have money, we have revenue, we have a team. And maybe, you know, maybe there's just like, I went through that hard phase already. I had my, you know, I had my exit. I did it again. Like now let's make it easier. You know what I mean? Kind of like, I don't know. Is scaling up easier than making a startup succeed? I would think so. If you're in the right ecosystem. Listen, both are hard. I know. You need the right motivations. I mean, you need the right motivations. If you want to be a singer in order to be famous, someone else who is really into the music will try harder than you. It's the same analogy, in my opinion. Um, because your goal is to be famous, not to be the best singer. So, so you want to be a good singer. But never, never mind that. What I was going with this is a different direction. I think working for tech companies is still very admirable. But I'm trying to look historically. I mean, I would assume that saying in the 1960s that you work for Bezek was, ooh, you know, this is a big and serious company. Bezek is an online telecommunication local provider. It's like Comcast, Today, if you say work for Verizon yeah. Comcast. So I don't know in America if you, if, I, I guess if you said like in the 70s, I worked for Comcast, I mean, that was one thing. And today it's another thing. No, but they would say like, I worked for General Motors. It would be like that or like or Ford yeah, General Motors. or things like that. It's these established big unions you know, the dependable Probably. job and, and, and paycheck for an established company that's kind of like a big part Which of the Which was country. then a different tier because, you know, they put wires across the nation or whatever. Right. But to their less. Now, maybe, you know, Google and Microsoft, they're still on that wake because, you know, they're the frontier. What will happen when the internet will just be a thing that was always there? I mean, you and I can't right. remember when it started. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, I remember um, not having a phone and all that. And... You know, it's an open question. Will Microsoft, Google, Facebook, Amazon, will they be the Comcasts of 30 years from now? I don't know. Right, mm-hmm. right. Um, but again, it's all about culture. Um, but I think that, let's put it this way, the Israeli entrepreneurs who have a bug in their head and they want to solve a problem. And they have the chutzpah, I mean, they have, they have the audacity to go and challenge the industry and come to the, with a different approach. Um, I think that's healthy in disruptive, innovative environments. And that's why it worked. It's not because there's something better about the Israeli culture. It's more fit for those environments. Mm-hmm. It's less good when you want to build an effective road system and metros across a small country. Because with that, we're not very good. Well, then here's another example. If you, want, if you want to run a government, maybe a startup mentality is not the best idea. But mm-hmm. Israel is a startup nation in many things, not just in tech. Some are good, some are bad. 
it's very good to pivot your company and do A-B testing. Da, 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 da. Not very good to pivot your policy every six months so that right. people from the outside don't know what's the policy right Yeah, so, it's like the Israeli government. But my point is Changes it's authentic because it's really the culture here. It's right. good or bad. Better to take the good parts and avoid the bad parts. Right. When people, when people complain about Israel going to elections all the time, I said, no, 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 no. that's a feature, not a bug. <laughs> it's a pivot. <laughs> it's a pivot. <laughs> the ultimate democracy is the people's voices being heard even more often. Yeah. I, think, I think more elections are a good thing. It keeps politicians more accountable. And I think that there's parallels to that and let's say the tech and the business and, and the culture at large. Uh, but, but, but there's another important point here from our story, because the story of the story is that Israel had that culture from the kibbutz, from the early days, with all these extremism between old and legacy and new and fresh, and that whole thing. And then the innovation, and then the, the information revolution happened, and we happened to be there, positioned with the right culture to catch the wave. And then this book came out in 2007 called Startup Nation, which mm -hmm. told that story meaning the book came out in 2007, and it told the story of what happened in the 90s and early 2000s, which made it happen. Now in the tech world, everybody knew that. People in Silicon Valley did not need the book Startup Nation to get to know Israel. But since this was 2008, you know what happened in 2008, you graduated, you remember mm -hmm. that? Yeah. And this book comes out about the little engine that could, and how can you create something out of nothing, attract foreign direct investments, create a lot of jobs, if you're the mayor of Madrid, you say, ooh, I want that too. So the book was not about Israel. It's about you and what can you do? And that's the geniosity of it because the book took a grain of truth and told that story in a universal way that really made a difference. And I think that's also a lesson because I believe every place has a culture, every place has something that is unique and valuable at, every company has, unique and valuable. Once you fine tune that thing in your go to market or whatever, you need to celebrate that. And then the market will accept it for the same way that many people who may not agree with the Israeli policies celebrate startup nation. And it's not a contradiction to them. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a value over there. If Denver, Colorado or Zagreb in, I don't know, Serbia or whatever, if, if you're a place or you're a company and you're looking for your way, you need to find that unique and valuable sweet spot and celebrate that. And that's what, again, happened in Israel by accident, because we're not good 20-year-old planners. We're good in 2,000-year-old dreams and here and now. The, right. middle, the middle part, we're not so good at. Not yet. Not uh, but that's <laughs> an important point. So, so well, well, let's, let's look forward another 20 years. Right, you're talking about. So Israel has matured from startup to scale up. Do you think it's going to be? Do you think we'll just continue to be just more scale up, or do you think there's going to be kind of like a multinational enterprises are going to grow out of here? I mean, obviously, we need no less regulation, more pro business, better tax policy. Obviously, you know, Israel still has some of her socialist roots she needs to shake off. Um, but would you? Do you? What do you? Where do you see things going? I have no idea. All I so know you're is just like what you said. You can look at the past, you can look at the present, but if you ask me to plan for the future, you can't do it. Look, I know, I'll tell you that. First of all, we're still figuring it out, right? That's so what I'm saying. Right? We're, just, we're just figuring it out. It was yeah, I mean, we're still in beta. A new, a new generation. You know? No, it's, it's still beta. 
It is still beta, uh, right? We never yeah, leave beta. I mean, there's an MVP, there's a product market fit for sure, but you know, we're not uh, we're not Series C and going IPO yet. Mm. But we are going that way. What I'm trying to say is the following. Um, I have no idea. Who knows, right? But I think it's a little bit like you know, it's it's know thyself. I know what we're good at. I think I know what uh, we're better at. I know what we should become better in because you need to improve what you suck at. I'm not saying you need to turn it into your advantage, but you need to improve in order not to suck at it. Um, but you also need to know what can you excel in and go all the way over there. And, and Israel in many cases for the world, at least in tech, is the laboratory. It's the place to come and try things. Um, that's what many multinationals do here. Um, again, because of spirit, culture, and a collective set of circumstances that could exist elsewhere, but here they come with a culture that fits that. Do you think cultures can be exported? Like you're saying like, oh, the, the mayor of Madrid could like read Startup Nation saying, I want to be able to facilitate that here in my city or my country or my capital. Is it, do you think it's possible? Like, I don't, I personally don't. I believe in general. I think it, at least it can't be done government top down in, in a way. Like, let's say so if you wanted to move Israel towards individualism, you can't do it overnight, right? It needs to be, you know, more business with Americans, go over, you know, go play. Like, and that culture will come back. And I think, and it seeps over a long period of time and has to, it happens drastically. Do you think one, do you think Israel can import positive things from other cultures here or vice versa? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, things are dynamic. But, uh, you know, I've been asked that question a lot. Uh, no naming names, but there were a lot of policymakers that came here looking for, you know, what's the right policy we need to copy? Here? But none of them, have, but let's be real. None of them have done it. No. So, first of all, because there is, is there's a free, I think outside of America and some other maybe Western countries, though, a little bit, but mostly America, that free spirit that you want to like, let out, look, you know what I mean? Kind of thing that we wanted. Look, first of all, let's break a misconception. It, it's not like there's Silicon Valley and Israel and all the rest of the world is. I mean, no, 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 I don't mean that. But I'm saying culturally, I'm not forget. Let's put business aside. Uh, or not, let's not actually, no, this is the main part of the conversation, but it's, it's mo mostly culture. I feel that you can't export a culture in a way, right? So like, if you want like um, countries that let's say have very good tech, let's say India, right? They don't, you can't export our lack of hierarchy in business, right? The, the flatness of business to a culture like India. You can't so take, you can't take that relaxed atmosphere of dressing in t-shirts and all of that and that high tech and bring it to London where they're very well known for their for their very nice suits and their very formal speaking and their over-the-top manners and it, you know what I mean and very etc etc look so it, it to me it comes down to know thyself and the, the example I always give um, I don't know if you or everybody who's watching this if you had small kids or if you were a small kid recently, maybe you remember that there's this toy that toddlers have where it's like this white board and there's like a, um, there are four holes 
there's the circle hole, the triangle hole, the square hole, and the rectangle hole. And then you have shapes. You have the ball, you have the pyramid, you have the cube, and you have right. the, the fourth one. Yeah, yeah, fourth yeah. Hole. Mm -hmm. Now, the trick is the toddler has to learn to put the ball in the circle and the pyramid in the triangle. It's the same thing. You need to fit the right shape to the right hole. That's yeah. exactly, yeah, go ahead. But that's exactly my point. India needs to... to do it in the Indian way. You can absolutely export and import values, behaviors, policies, but you need to implement them in a local way that will make you unique and valuable better than us in that thing. Fair but enough. it's your job to figure out what is that thing and communicate that to me, the end consumer. And I think that is the point. So if Denver, Colorado wants to be a world leader in innovation, not necessarily they need to declare independence, be small and surrounded by enemies in the middle of the desert and you know, do it. No. And you can absolutely import policies and, and do a lot of things that are technical, but you need to do it in a local way that will make you not just valuable, but unique. So you do it in the Denver way better than us. Right. And I think that's the marketplace out there. Right. And it's the same for companies. It's the same for individuals, by the way, in, in your career path. It's the same. Mm -hmm. All right, I see that. Uh, I, I, I dig that. And what kind, how do you see Israeli culture outside of the tech world being um, affected? Like, how do you think the culture within the tech world is now having a ripple effect in the rest of Israeli culture? So the, we talked about Bezek, right? An old school telecommunication company and the, a dinosaur, so to speak. Right, they're still Every alive. They're doing great things. I mean, it's, it's not a big yeah, company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're not celebrated every, like Google. Every, every, con, every country, their, their start, startups that take are probably are celebrated much more than their well-established and old telecommunication companies, right? How do you see the, the tech and startup or scale-up culture of Israel um, how is that affecting other areas of the culture, whether it's business, large and established businesses such as Bezek, or whether it's you think, let's say you're going to the supermarket and the grocery store, the Shuk, or do you think there has been, because we talked about Israeli culture and other things that, you know, maybe like, you know, the, the tough history and the wars and the coming together and all these that led, that went into business. Now that business has, and tech has grown on its own, how do you feel it has fed back hopefully in a positive way, uh, yeah. to, the, to the rest of Israeli culture. So, um, again, I'm not, I'm no historian, right? Or no um, sociologist or anthropologist, but I would assume what I see since I'm in this business of promoting Israel uh, through startups and innovation, that I think after the world discovered Startup Nation, outside Silicon Valley, discovered and celebrated Israel as startup nation. We Israelis, we are startup nation. So we started to discover it ourselves and it built the tech industry with how tech is perceived by the rest of the Israeli society. But I think it also brought uh, many Israeli attitudes that we knew we had in the past and maybe we were ambivalent about and now we say huh there's a positive you know outcome of that you know there are positive implications for that and here's a great example you're a digital marketing uh, expert i work in a creative agency i work with a creative agency called plus 972 the version of us 25 years ago would be with a button shirt in israel mm -hmm. but the fact that you know the tech world became celebrated 
made a cultural shift and right now we're with t-shirts yeah but that's so it's not that's just the dress but but yeah but we're also we're serving the tech world so i don't think that's fit well i am my clients are yeah but not industry, only but so today in Bezik, you may go also with it. I mean, what I'm trying to say is it, it does create ripple effects culturally. Mm -hmm. By the way, for the same way that I believe it does in other industries, but other industries have more legacy. Even if New York is a great tech space, I don't think that Wall Street will start going with t-shirts Morgan Stanley tomorrow morning. Mm -hmm. In Israel, it's a little bit different. By the way, in, in Israel, it would be, if, if Israel, and them having a world-class international bank, people will wear the shirts here. You know, people aren't wearing you know, so sure. I, I, that's, my, that's my opinion. I, I, and by yeah. the way, and I think we could. I don't know what will happen in London August. And York, London and New York are in decline. There's no reason why Tel Aviv can't become a financial hub in the Middle East if we if we fix regulations and whatnot. But I, I, think, I see no reason why, because it would be different. It would be tech-focused. It would be totally different. Probably have crypto and blockchain technologies involved, et cetera. You know what I mean? Then I think it would bring a young, vibrant feel to it. And I think it would totally no, so, so be that's a sense exactly, of pride. But that's exactly the point. That's exactly the point. Because everything that we call tech today is absolutely not tech tomorrow. I mean, that's this right. thing, by definition, 2022, that's the fax machine of 10 years from now. It's a right. fax machine. I promise you in the audience, We're we still will using, look back at people don't know this, Israelis are this, still using and we will say, no, no listen. Yeah, we're going to teleport yeah, our audience probably doesn't them. know what a fax machine is. But I promise you in the audience, we will look back 10 years from now doing uh, photos of ourselves doing this, and we will go, what on earth were we thinking? That's right, no, of course. I was, because the, right, because natural progression is going to be, I'm going to think something, Starlink, and you're going to hear it. And then our conversation yeah. is just going to be without even using our words. And then other people can Maybe, then, I don't know. be able to be understood and someone else can understand it without having audio. That, I don't know. that will be the future. But absolutely, this is a variable. That's not the constant. Technology right. is a variable. That's not the constant. The values of the culture are constant because they were here in the kibbutz in the 60s. They were in the room studying Gemara a thousand years ago. They're related to the geography of this place that creates a lot of extremes. So they are constants. And tomorrow they'll invent this whatever thing, which will open a new frontier. I hope we will be able to come with the right cultural values to catch that wave as well. And that's how startups work. You need to react fast to adapt to changes. But remember, what is the end goal? That's print and marathon, as someone smart would say. But these are subtle things that, in a way, the book Startup Nation gives you a good pretext, but it doesn't take you into the Israeli psyche to see how Israelis work. I don't and think you can. Your... I think I think if you said if you got into an Israeli psyche, and if you were given a psychopath psyche, I think to the African foreigner, they wouldn't be able to tell. They wouldn't be able to say which one's which. What do you so think? So listen, a lot of Israelis must do the John Malkovich exercise. Probably most of your audience don't even know what that means. But to be able to go into someone else's head and see the world from their perspective, Israelis right. have to become better at doing that with faraway markets. They have to. I mm -hmm. mean, it's a flat world. For the same way, if you're a multinational and you want to come to Israel, and you want to understand how it works here, and you want to find the right startups. And, I mean, you need to play with the jungle by the jungle's rules and not be Mr. Livingston in the jungle, meaning you have to understand this a little bit. And I think that there are great ways to understand the Israeli mentality in order to use it for business. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, the book Startup Nation is telling you the story about it. It doesn't yeah. take you through that. Yeah. Uh, oh, no, oh. But even so one of the things that I'm doing today, so I'm trying any, to give an example. It's not even relevant anymore, I think, the book. Especially when it opened up with Better Place. What a fakakta that was. Again, variables and constants. When the book talks about the ingredients of the culture, I think it's super relevant. Right, right, right. When it talks about Better Place. I, I haven't read it in, in a very long time. So maybe, maybe it's not fair for me to comment. Uh, on that, but also the culture has changed. Uh, do you think the culture will, even though you're saying the culture is like, is like still rooted in, you know, in history and Jewish culture, whether the Talmud, the Kibbutzim, et cetera, do you think you see Israeli culture uh, sig making significant changes and, or any changes in a sense, the culture itself? And if so, what direction do you think that's going to go in? I have no idea exactly which direction, but I know you don't know. What do you think? What do you, you, you have enough experience. You study this. You speak to people. Come all the time to learn about Israeli culture, technology. You're in the weeds. You're involved. I mean, you can probably look the last several years. How has it pivoted and changed? What direction do you think we're going in? Um, so, so look, I have maybe personal opinions about you know the culture here locally, the civil culture, and uh, the, how that's going to play out. But from the more business point of view, from the economic point of view, um, I think Israelis are more maturing. Startups here continue to be interesting, uh, but they'll also be able to build bigger companies. It means that if you're from a destination far away and you're looking for opportunities with Israeli startups, not necessarily you're looking for the young innovative startups to purchase when it's very young. Maybe there's a company that can grow here and then you can work with it when it's a teenager and not a toddler. Um, but I think there are absolutely constants in the way Israelis think and operate. Um, one of the things that I'm trying to do today is celebrate more of these traits and less the story of Startup Nation, which is pretty much told in Told the and it's over. That book is finished being, that's, that book yeah. is written. It's done. We, you know, We're in a we, new chapter. We, listen, it was a great lemon. We squeezed it. We need to finish squeezing it all the way as any other place should with the equivalent assets, but move forward. Right. And one of the things that I'm doing right now, me and the, my partner, Class 972, we're trying to celebrate traits from uh, the way uh, Israeli entrepreneurs think and work. Uh, we actually have a cool project right now that does it because we want to bring the values through in an eye-leveling way, meaning not tell you, oh, Israel is this and this and that. That's boring. More about, you know, here's the story of that entrepreneur, for example. Mm -hmm. Right, so almost like, like many biographies, right. So, I mean, in Israel's government, you're, we're seeing more, which is a good thing, um, people that succeeded in technology move into government. Um, and you're seeing the opposite, people in government go into technology. It's fascinating. Those that made in technology and go to the government are right-leaning. Those that, let's say, made a lot of money, corruption in government now going to tech, uh, like Uhu Barak. Uh, what do you think is there, there's a play here um, like near Barkat with the mayor of Jerusalem. He's a member of Knesset and he's a billionaire, right? Yeah, I mean, he's from BRM, which is a right. big, uh, uh, um, I mean, you can Google BRM. They well, if you want to give it, and, and the, the prime minister had an exit. In the Hold on, even before that, Erel Margalit. I mean, right. okay. so JVP. So, you know, he was right, right. Okay, and so you're seeing that, and then you're seeing some politicians leave and take their connections and then try to go into tech. I think we need the other way around. We need we need business people to 
to enter the government, not have government people enter business. I think you're going to end up ruining business. We need to fix government. But we'll save that for another conversation. Uh, but the prime minister himself, do you see different kinds of – so the last prime minister, uh, Netanyahu, was uh, relatively pro-business, relatively pro-free market, but was never involved in business. N not at this scale, let's say, that Naftali Bennett, who's the prime minister now, right? Um, do you see a difference in, let's say, how the country or the government is led because of the successful startup and tech background that Naftali Bennett has, as opposed to, let's say, previous prime ministers? Yoel, you know I love you, and that was a great try, but you will not drag me into talking about politics. However, you mentioned, but, but I appreciate the attempt. But uh, there's a connection, because <laughs> would you see, because like in America right now, corporatism, like the, these have, are in bed now with the government, right? And I was always against big business, but big businesses have now partnered with the government. And I would say maybe at the expense of smaller companies. And what Israel doesn't, I would like for Israel to also be able to, what I would like to see is small startups and entrepreneurship be embraced and even prioritized over big corporations in the Israeli government. And what I would like to know is, do you think that's a trajectory that we're going on and what do you where do you think we're going with that? Um, to be to be honest, it's kind of hard for me to answer because you know, the, to say that startups and small businesses, uh, you know, uh, uh, instead of big corporations, I, you know, it's hard for me to make that analogy because I don't look at those two bricks this way. I look at them that way. So I I, I want to get to that and continue the conversation over there, but maybe for the sake of your audience, since you mentioned Naftali Bennett, maybe it's worth explaining because many people don't know. Uh, and it's actually related to something that, that we're involved in, Plus 972. Because Naftali Bennett, he, here's a great example. Naftali Bennett is currently the prime minister of Israel, and that's how people know him. People don't know that in the early 2000s, he was one of the wonder high-tech kids in Israel. Mm -hmm. And he was not the prototype that you would expect from a wonder kid to be. Why is that? I mean, he's, he wore a yarmulke, he's not secular from Ranana certain A200 or whatever. Um, the point is this, Naftali Bennett started a business right after college. Um, he has his military background, but they started a startup. By the way, against what we spoke about that you need to have uh, some sort of uh, you know, emotional connection to things, they started literally four people in an attic and saying, oh, we want to start a startup. Let's think of ideas for a startup, which is, in a way, not the way to go. Yeah, it's usually the other way around. Usually you're yeah, inspired that's by the way something. To How can a company? we channel this into a startup? I want to start a startup. What can we do? Let's yeah, <laughs> but that Naftali Bennett with his team, his other three friends, made a notable exit in 2005 with a company that did fintech before there was a word fintech. Right. And the other that. three founders... Yeah, your focus yeah I know. It's like I, I moved and that's it. Yeah. Nah, 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 nah. Oh, that didn't help. Oh, anyway, yeah. Face close to the camera. Now, the other three founders after that exit went to start Tabula, Kaltura, Ply Media. I mean, big companies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Kaltura is a client of ours. And Bennett went to politics. Bennett, by the way, before that was the CEO of Soluto, which made an exit as well. But never mind. Bennett comes from that industry. Now, here's the interesting part. You want to understand how Israeli think. Promise you, you're not going to get me to talk about politics. However, that Naftali Bennett in 2009 took a lot of his lessons 
what to do, what not to do, what worked, what didn't work. Um, uh, he depicted how they operated in an Israeli way and where it fit, what didn't fit. He took all that after he blogged about it um, and he put it on a book and released it for free in Hebrew. Mm -hmm. And then he went to politics and people kind of forgot about it. And I came across that book in 2011, I think. I read it maybe 10,000 times. I always kept a copy close to my bed because the book is also written in an Israeli way. It's tachless. There's no storyline. Right. punchy. Every paragraph has, you know, a, a yeah, value. The sections could almost be independent in a way. Yeah, I mean, you could go from chapter one to seven to three. Right. They follow chronological, but it's I mean, not. They're independent. Yeah, exactly. And it never existed in English. And I remember people told me, okay, I stop. So can you give us some examples? And I'll give an example or two but I could never refer them to a source like this. So we went to Bennett about a year and a half ago and we signed him on a paper that we're gonna translate his book with all these lessons to English and release it again for free. We started working on it. Little did we know, I think little did he know that he's gonna become the prime minister because that's how things are in Israel. Right, even a year and a half and, ago, it was like two right, months before he was prime minister. Yeah. And maybe just to show that for a second, we just released this book. So if you go online, I mean, I think, and, and see it through examples, practical, another word mm. being used here, pragmatic and practical examples. So you just go online to the exit book by Naftali Bennett. You can read the full book online and it has a lot of business values. Mm -hmm. And these oh. kinds of sources are critical if you I'll, want to do good business, I'll, I'll make sure uh, I'll make sure to share work. the link in the uh, in the description. If people want to be able to grab it, they can grab it and download it for free. I did read it; um, it is fantastic. I was trying to bring the uh, the the tech and the politics things together so you can make your plug, <laughs> but it took you a couple minutes. <laughs> I no, but I think this. I'll tell you why I think this is more interesting because here you have values that are super relevant for politics as well. Do you think other have other politicians read this? Like. Like, what do you think? Let's sure. say there are 120 members of Knesset, right? What percentage of them you think have read this? Obviously in Hebrew or something. I don't know. Three, um, Some four. of them for sure. Look, you need to remember that, you know, maybe in politics, Terel Margalit and Naftali Bennett are rivals politically. But at the same, I mean, we spoke about the collective sense of purpose. So there's that. But mm -hmm. also, I mean, in the business world, one could invest in someone else's startup. So right. it, it's not extreme as I think people think it is. Um, but the values and the lessons in content like this is universal. So again, nothing here is uniquely Israeli. The mixture mm -hmm. is, is unique. The blend is unique. But the values are universal. I'll give you maybe one example. You asked me about what Israeli startups need to get better at. And I think it's something that I see in the market. Global startups, you know, they have that disease as well. And maybe you see it with some clients as well. I think the number one killer of startups is if you build it, they will come. Meaning you go, you build something and then you go to the market and then you get you know, the punch in the face and you realize it's hard to sell. Because yeah, people say, that, Ooh, thank you for bringing that product. Marketing and sales is Israel's finally coming around to appreciate marketing and sales. It's, oh, I made the best technology. Oh, it's, it's amazing. They'll find me. They'll need me. They need my product. And I was like, that's not how it works, honey. Yeah. And now for many years, uh, for many, uh, for a long time, still today. How, how old are you, Saf? <laughs> I'm like you're 80. I'm not that old. 
but I would say for, for a long time, I've, I've, I'm still seeing that, you know, you build a product, the product is great, but it's not fit for the market yet. Meaning there's no complete product market fit. You'd still need to adjust it to the customers. Now, if you come with your rectangle and you're trying to push it down the circle hole and it's not gonna fit in, all that good marketing is going to do is expose the truth and mm. show everybody that this is a rectangle and this is a, uh, you know, a circle or hole. Because mm -hmm. that's what marketing, that's what good marketing does. It exposes the truth. But if you're going to blame the marketer that the rectangle doesn't go slightly, you know, smoothly into the circle, then the problem is probably not with the marketing. You need to understand that you need to adjust the product. And I think that if you build it, they will come is still a disease that a lot of startups have, not only in technology, a lot of new emerging businesses have. And it's hard to build the product with your clients because you need to come from an attitude that I am here to serve you and I will figure out what works best for you and not, I want to build this thing and I'm going to find a way to shove it to you. Mm -hmm. So that's still a disease. By the way, in the, in the book by Bennett, they show how they made progress, but the product eventually failed. And eventually the CTO came with a what the hell approach and say, you know what? What the hell? Why won't you try it this way? And they just threw it on the canvas and that became the path to exit. Mm -hmm. Now, in order to do that, you need to define yourself by who we serve and why. Because what we do and how will change. And that's why I cannot answer you, you know, what will happen in Israel and how. Who knows? But I do know who we are and why. Awesome. And with that's that, Asaf Luxembourg, where can they find you? So I'm pretty approachable online. Um, if you're looking for the Bennett book, just Google exit book. I'll put, in, I'll put it in the description, send it over. We'll put in the description. Many good business lessons over there. You wanted some politics, by the way, here's a... I knew you wanted it more than in me. I was book. just trying to set you up for your book so you can do your plug. Yeah, what's up? <laughs> no, for those of you, no, I'm not thinking about myself, setting a little bit of you know nice politics uh, cherry on top. In this book from 2009, Bennett writes what he learned from BP. Interesting to read that today, but I'll leave uh, that for the audience. Uh, all right, great. There you go. How's that for Cliffhanger? Asaf, thank you for joining us. Keep up the great work. Thank you for uh, having me. Thanks for being, me a, thanks for being a guest. Thank you. Bye-bye.